0: i Spaces
1: was dramatic okay i think it's working now vitalik are you here
2: yes i am here can you hear me
1: yes yes we can okay amazing perfect so i'm gonna (laughs) unfortunately we had the previous storage space rugged i'm gonna give people like two more minutes to join in and uh then we'll start
0: god fucking damn it that bitcoin magazine was a fucking farce. Two fucking idiot wizards on stage. This is not a fucking joke, people. Fucking idiots. okay? Our fucking children are at risk. And we got these two fucking clowns on stage. Fuck you, Bitcoin Magazine. You fucking dropped the ball. Do the work. This is not a coin. This is big fucking power. This is big energy. This is fucking big internet. You're a fucking loser, cockooty, and your friend Eric Wall. Suck my right? whatever. Okay, you guys don't understand. This is about the children. You want a grave dance because you're a narcissistic fuck who wants to be thought of as Mike broke Bitcoin. What a loser, fucking narcissist, little pussy. Oh my fucking Lord, he never would have made it out of a hockey barn in Canada. I can't believe that he wasn't fucking assaulted. And I'm not promoting that. It's a good fucking thing I wasn't near the door because I probably would have gotten arrested. And I'm not violent. I just cannot stand people that abuse the future for our children. Please, this is not entertainment, people. This is a call to action.
3: Are you flossing, Odie? I'm flossing. I'm flossing right now.
1: Okay, GM everyone. I don't I'm I'm sorry about the cussing. I don't know where this came from. I was just trying to play uh casual intro. And uh, I don't know how this happened. Uh no, this is uh, for <laughs> for anyone who don't know, uh, me and me and Eric happened to uh dance on stage on the Bitcoin conference in Miami with in wizard costumes. I don't know, we just wanted to make Bitcoin magical again, and, and some people were a little bit annoyed. So um that was some of the responses, but I I hope. That from now on, we can generate uh, positive responses only.
3: Um, Udi, can you stop talking about yourself? Introduce our guest, yes. please.
1: So I wanted to introduce, uh, I don't know if everyone here knows uh, Vitalik. He's, um, he's been doing you know a few other ecosystems as well, but but mostly he's known for being an early Bitcoiner, I think. Uh, in 2011, co-founded uh, Bitcoin Magazine. Um, he's been early to building some Bitcoin libraries. Uh, how are you today, Vitalik? I am great. Thank you
4: for asking.
1: And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm 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 gonna stop uh, making uh, silly jokes. i <laughs> I think that
4: um, for us, like we no serious. This is mandatory. We are overturning governments. We are not allowed <laughs> to have fun.
1: This is about the children, Vitalik. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is serious. We have to we have to be serious for the future of our children and and i (laughs) i think that you know like we um we we feel like there's it's kind of funny right that that did you ever have this conversation um before about like what bitcoiners can learn from ethereum is this a conversation you had publicly before i don't think so which is which is amazing right because this is like it's so obvious. Even I know that some Bitcoiners don't like Ethereum. I think most of them do like it, but I, I know some people in the, in the Bitcoin community don't. And even, even if you don't like it, you would think that there's a lot to learn from like seven plus years of, of research and development, right?
3: I have a, I have a quick, uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, Vitalik, but I, um, you know, after Matter Labs introduced ZK Rollups, Uh, I wrote this thread on Twitter and I talked about that this is like actually something that Bitcoiners should look into. And I was having a a public conversation with Peter Todd and he said that uh, I asked him like, you know, sometimes I read Vitalik's blog and I find interesting stuff on that blog. And he said, it doesn't make me insane, but it makes me potentially dangerous. So I I wore that as a name on Twitter for uh, several months after that. And this was like the reason that I sort of, got a little bit alienated from uh bitcoin core developers was essentially because i read your blog and i and i had this sort of idea that what i was reading there was not insane or dangerous information it's just like technical information that you can use and and sort of take learnings from Um, so yeah apparently reading your blog makes a person potentially dangerous how does that make you feel
4: Wow, that that does sound like the sort of thing that like someone would put in their Twitter profile in uh, 2023 as a self endorsement. So I'm um, I don't know. Thank you for the for the positive feedback.
1: That's that's a great attitude. <laughs> I do think that Eric mm-hmm. is potentially dangerous, but I'm not sure it's because because of the blog. You know uh, about that blog. You actually, Vitalik, you wrote um, a blog post in on April first last year about. Um, Bitcoin maximalism and why you actually think it's right. And me and Eric have this argument about whether whether or not you were serious. It was an April Fool's joke or was a combination of both. Can you Maybe tell us a little bit about that one.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the answer to the question is uh, the same as my answer to the question of uh, whether that EIP I made to, to cap the supply of ETH to 120 million was an April Fool's, which is that the The public uh, conversation on whether or not it's serious was uh, intended to be part of the joke, um, but yeah, you know, I yeah, basically tried thought that a uh, a way to write something on April Fools that would actually be interesting was to essentially try to you know do what rationalists call a yes man and uh, do my best to. Articulate the parts of uh, Bitcoin maximalism that I see and that I appreciate, and uh, to kind of at least create an expression of the uh, of the part of the parts of the worldview that makes sense from its own, fr- from its own perspective. And uh, you know, I thought that would be uh, interesting to see what see what I learned from uh, the exercise to uh, like also see you know what. Ethereum people end up uh learning thinking and also just to see how much uh, agreement and the and disagreement there ends up being and I thought it was interesting, like I think it's uh <clears throat> there's definitely yes yeah, some aspects of maximalism in general that i think uh, i mean ethereum people are are very critical of, and then there's some aspects that ethereum people have also come to appreciate like less the parts that are just uh, being super hostile against everything but more the parts that are about like basically yeah you know not being unicorns and rainbows about everything and remembering that like you're actually here to do to do serious shit in the world to some extent and you know there's an actual difference between things that are good good and things that are bad and it's uh just the very basic things like that so
3: yeah the the reception uh, the reception to that mm-hmm. to that blog post was incredible like people were so surprised that vitalik even had the potential to say positive things about bitcoin like for me I, I thought it was completely obvious that you just used april 1st as an opportunity to say something that people don't realize that you actually think and then mm-hmm. People are just absolutely up in you know their arms about just the fact that actually our uh, Vitalik can articulate and actually probably does recognize that there are some you know rational things about the thing the stuff that Bitcoiners do. Um, but the, there was I, I remember that no one was talking about anything else uh, during that day than this blog post.
4: Interesting, actually. Yeah, I'd be curious to ask because like I saw the uh, I saw the crypto Twitter response from the Ethereum side. Kind of what was the response in the community from the bitcoin side yeah
3: the, the bitcoin uh, response was um uh, like a lot of people retweeted it and said that this is one of sort of the best defense of bitcoin maximalism that they've seen and that this is your like inner guilt that is uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was something that you couldn't hold back and it's like try like they were trying to like put it into something mm-hmm. that um you know you couldn't help yourself from from do, like I thought it was kind of intentional that you were trolling people through it, but they were like, you see, he can't, he can't like deny the truth. <laughs> Something like
2: that.
4: Amazing. Yeah. I and then I did see a couple of uh people kind of nitpicking and saying, Ha, huh, look, even Vitalik still doesn't understand us, he forgot to mention the word 21 million. And
3: yeah, yeah, I remember that too. Uh, yeah. I remember that too. Yeah. Like incessant nitpicking. Okay. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but you still, I guess uh, you know, I, I guess the uh, the exercise was a uh, fun success then, and uh, I guess you know some Ethereum people did come out of it at least uh, learning something from Bitcoin, so that's uh, you know always a positive.
1: Yeah, you know, I. Um... I've used to be, uh, people used to call me the Peter Schiff of Ethereum. I think Eric, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think Eric Mm -hmm. called me that a couple of times too. And um, Mm -hmm. I think I I definitely changed like my view about, I think bridging people is going to be more productive probably than like trying to set people apart. Mm -hmm. So in that kind of spirit, um, I think you, um, you started looking into Ethereum maybe, um, I don't know, I don't know what it was but before that you did bitcoin things right um yeah so can you tell us Mm -hmm. about your
4: history in bitcoin a little bit sure Uh, so back i joined the community back in uh, early 2011 right and uh, i remember read uh, basically hearing about bitcoin from my dad and then within a couple of weeks either earlier or later i forget i yeah was listening to this libertarian podcast and uh it mentions bitcoin and the podcast contains an exhortation basically yeah asking people like hey you know if this is interesting like actually go out and like go and participate in the bitcoin economy and uh like try to be part of this and so i figured okay maybe yeah i yeah actually will try and do this and so i yeah once in the bitcoin forums And I started scouting around looking for Bitcoin job opportunities because, uh, you know, hey, it's Bitcoin, it's trying to grow an actual parallel economy. And uh, by the way, I had basically uh, no cash anyway. And so what um, I eventually stumbled on was uh, this guy named Hacker Kiba, who was uh, writing a Bitcoin website this was not Bitcoin Magazine. This was something earlier called Bitcoin Weekly. And he was paying people five Bitcoins per article to write articles for him. Now, back then, a Bitcoin was $0.80. Cents. This was $4 an article. And uh, when, I, when I wrote the articles and I yeah, divided how much money I got by how much time I spent writing them, I was earning something like one-seventh minimum wage. But like...
1: Look, well, guys, sorry. This is, this is how technology works. This is, this is, this is just the way it is. Um... There's been too many of you in the space, so it crashed a couple of times. It happens. <laughs> All right, I think we have Vitalik back. Yay! <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ! So be, yeah, yeah. Laser right. eyes on there. <laughs> no yeah, one else yeah. to do this.
4: Let's continue. Let's just let's just sure. jump. Yeah, getting back getting back into the story. Um, so. There was, I was writing these articles for Bitcoin Weekly, getting paid my uh, five Bitcoins, which uh, then became two and a half Bitcoins. And uh, eventually, uh, we had to basically uh, do this weird trick where we would publish the first paragraph of each article on Bitcoin Talk. And uh, then we would uh, hold the rest of the article for ransom and we, would, and we would basically put up a crowdfunding address and we'd only release the rest of the article when we got to two and a half Bitcoins. So doing some you know, fun economic experimentation back in the days. But then eventually, yeah, uh, Mihai uh, Alicia from uh, Romania just sent me an email out of the blue saying, hey, I'm uh, starting this uh, Bitcoin magazine, and it's going to be a physical magazine, and uh, you know, D wants to be a writer. And so I uh, immediately joined for that. And then I was a... Uh, writer for bitcoin magazine for the purse for, for, for the next and um, you know basically yeah two and a half years from there and at the same time i just yeah, started slowly doing more and more bitcoin uh developing um back when i was in university in 2013 i just yeah, started uh, a working for the yeah, bounties that the Coward coins team was uh, releasing um, there was uh, I think uh, Alex Mizraki from the Bitcoin uh, team was like I believe managing this like bounty system where there were bounties of uh, ten bitcoins to create particular features, and I figured like hey this is a good opportunity for me to get into like the actual coding the uh, side of Bitcoin and to try to make some things that are useful. So I started. Also, writing. Um, I started not really paying attention in uh, physics class in university, and basically, i you know laptoping out some uh, covered coin bounties or Bitcoin magazine articles, and that was just probably the busiest part of my life. And then in the summer, I started right um, when I be, quit university and went on this um, you know half year Bitcoin nomadic trip around the world. Um, my, One of my first stops, like well, basically my second stop after I visited the yeah, libertarians over in New Hampshire in Porkfest. Uh, my second stop, I went to this uh, place in Spain called uh, Colafo. It's basically this uh, abandoned factory that got taken over by this uh, local kind of kind of left anarchist cooperative, which was this. Uh, a kind of combination of these more traditional, uh, kind of you know, self-sufficient, back to the land type of people, and just many kinds of uh, free open source software and and uh, tech geeks. And I I, yeah, I saw Amir Taki there who was working on Lib Bitcoin, which was one of the earliest alternate implementations of Bitcoin, and that inspired me to start working on Pi Bitcoin tools, which uh, was basically my attempt to create a uh, Python library for just doing Bitcoin things. Actually, have either of you used PyBitcoin tools? I'm too much I of a noob, but it's mm, only
1: when it was already kind of deprecated.
4: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I yeah, ended up deprecating it around like 2017 or so. I, yeah. But then... There is a fork, I believe there was one called uh, Pi Crypto Tools. I think there might even have been multiple forks that ended up taking over from Pi Bitcoin Tools and they ended up extending it to uh, support like 100 other coins, also to support other ways of getting the data from the chain. Um, also, like I think I was relying on blockchain.info and then blockchain.info ended up getting uh, like all, with all these things, the APIs eventually change and all of that stuff. And when I last checked my crypto uh, tools, I uh, oh, I actually um yeah, ended up using my uh, s- some uh, Bitcoin to pay for uh, Proton Mail. I-, I think actually quite recently, and because uh, they happen to accept uh, Bitcoin and they uh, don't accept these yet. Um, but I yeah basically had to go in and you know use this fork of this thing that I had written 10 years ago and it didn't work because some, there were like broken APIs and I had to like go in and manually craft a transaction with UTXOs, which was a pretty fun exercise. Um, but you know, that once I created the transaction um, you know, that it, it still worked, which was, uh, which was nice. Um, I, I did see that you they upgraded. The the, that's true. But uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. It's I know I, I'm, I'm terrible. I did not use Lightning. I did not even use uh, base 32 addresses. I uh, didn't you know did not do SegWit formatted anything. But uh, you know i was still able to send the one transaction. So that was uh, that was good. But yeah, basically, yeah, ended up being essentially being a wallet developer uh, while being a being a writer and a nomad. And I think. A lot of the combination of uh, the, of those experiences, I'm sure, ended up contributing quite a bit to what Ethereum ended up being.
1: Yeah, so that's that's actually really fascinating. Like there, there's such a rich experience that you had with Bitcoin before you even got to Ethereum, which I don't know if people like fully know that. And at, at some point, you know, obviously, you started Ethereum, and. I mean, we, you know, we could talk about why, but, but I think maybe more interesting to me personally is that Ethereum ended up being very different from Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, like, do you see Ethereum as a replacement to Bitcoin or is this sort of a, a, a complementary thing to, to Bitcoin that, that you think both should exist and serve different things? Like, how do you look at that? Hmm.
2: <coughs>
4: It's a good question. I think they're, they're definitely different experiments in terms of, and of the culture and in terms of like unavoidable trade-offs that they're making and all of those things. Like, which is, And that's something that I've probably only really, really come to realize over time. Uh, and so I think uh, there's definitely a lot of value in both of them continuing to exist. Like the, uh, I think the uh, issue that or the thing that I didn't quite see when I was starting the starting Ethereum was like I was I was uh, looking at them as a kind of technical systems and cultural systems somewhat separately, right? And I had my uh, beliefs on culture, namely, um, you know that maximalism is crazy and that. you know, sometimes people say things about, um, you know, governments in uh, Bitcoin lands that go way too, way too extreme to the point of just being crazy and factually correct, incorrect and falsifiable six months later. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really yeah, into being part of that. Um, but then there was also the yeah technical aspect. And at the beginning, the. I was thinking about this in terms of like, well, clearly, you know, the next step from uh, going to a basic system is a more program, more programmable system, because that's how computers evolved. And, you know, the way computers evolved is that we basically ended up having general purpose systems that all look roughly similar and are based off of fairly similar technology stacks. Um, But the other aspect to this that I think is important is like you know basically the, yeah, it, the, the extent to which tech and culture and all of those things intersect and uh, the extent to which like there are points at which you have to like basically just make certain choices like if you make a system that supports more functionality then like any kind of functionality that you support ends up having risks right and like some like it's not, sometimes it's not even a risk from the protocol complexity that you need to have to support the functionality. Sometimes like the risk actually comes just from having the functionality, right? And that's uh, an example of something that we saw during you know the MEV age over the last few years. And and then you know there's the whole proof of work and uh, proof of stake question, and it feels like the two ecosystems have kind of settled into and what's, uh, you know, likely a long-term equilibrium in in both of those cases, right? Because um, up until 2022, you know, proof of stake wasn't, uh, like, it was in the roadmap, but it wasn't a thing that Ethereum, like, a thing that was already in the Ethereum protocol. I think uh, the time when there was, like, solid consensus that Proof of Stake actually was going to happen, and yes, this is what we're all here for. Probably was the DAO fork, right? Because that was when a lot of the people who you kind know, of were in favor of a more purist approach toward immutability ended up going to Ethereum Classic, and then people who are like much stronger proof of work proponents also ended up gravitating toward toward Ethereum Classic, and that kind of ended up splitting the uh, the two communities over that question, and probably kind of making the decision clearer in both of them, uh, but. Other, yeah, I think there's just like a lot of these uh, subtle choices that both platforms have made that like really go beyond this question of like, you know, are you trying to be general purpose or or are you not trying to be general purpose? Like, there's uh, like 10 other different dimensions that we ended up kind of choosing different traits. Ethereum ended up choosing different trade-offs on, and then Bitcoin ended up choosing different trade-offs on la- um, later on. And there was a lot of uh, kind of different instincts, and I think in some cases similar instincts that drove that dis- that decision making, which was interesting to see. And I think, yeah, like the the result of all this is that we just have these uh, two different experiments that seem to me to be yeah valuable, and I'm you know happy that. Happy that they're both that that they're both continuing to exist. Um, you know, have uh, you know, I definitely consider both of them to be, um, you know, much more honorable than uh, you know all kinds of crazy um VC over um overinflated scams that the space has seen over the um over the last five years. And uh, you know, I do think that there is a yeah, and of course, commitments to values in there that I think is. Uh, Valuable for the space to actually um, pro- provide something that matters to people. Yeah,
3: it, it seems like there's two uh, mm. two things that both Ethereum and Bitcoin sort of agree on, and it's that the net inflation should be low, and that. Uh, People should be able to synchronize full nodes. So not computer centers, but actual yeah. like people. I'm syncing an Ethereum full node right now. Yeah. So those are two choices that both systems made. But in almost every other aspect, mm-hmm. like if it's soft forking or hard forking, if it's client diversity or a single client, it feels like Ethereum is making like diametrically opposed mm-hmm. choices to Bitcoin. And I, I don't know if you realize it yourself, but maybe this is because Bitcoin exists. That ethereum chooses sort of the other path and uh, it'd be interesting to know like if bitcoin didn't exist if bitcoin was a vacuum hmm. if ethereum would have made some choices that weren't just like diametrically in opposition to bitcoin i uh
4: um, one i wonder if uh, I will, let's see if i can come up with like 10 other places where ethereum and bitcoin agree um let's see so On the whole immutability question of like basically yeah you know how hard you like how how much pushback should there be against attempts to coordinate and do things to the chain in order to interfere in specific event specific events where we don't like the outcome I think it's like Ethereum often gets um, you know framed as being the intervention chain because of the DAO fork but then if you take a bit of a broader view you know there's all of these other alt layer ones and uh, plenty of them either, may, you know, take these kind of like various emergent emergency actions in response to application layer hacks all the time. Or sometimes, you know, they even try to have governance layer stuff, to like, allow, you know, either freezing of coins or like, or recovery of coins or, um, or various other things. So I think, uh, you know, they are different. But if you kind of broaden the spectrum a bit, they're, they're I would not call them diametrically opposite.
3: Oh, that's true. Um, like Gavin Wood's coins are still stuck, like frozen in the parity bug. Exactly.
4: So I think, yeah. yeah. Then, okay, so that's one out of 10. Let's see if I can uh, quickly uh, <laughs> <laughs> come up with a bunch more. Oh, um, Let's do two more. <laughs> the, in, the, in the beacon chain, we're actually uh, back to using uh, SHA-256 as the hashing algorithm. So that was interesting. Um let's see what other things e c. d. s a has signatures that's one that a lot of new ones are not going for um well, we have well, now. that is true yeah, and um, you know i guess ed- ed ethereum is um, you know moving into account abstraction, so i guess uh, both of uh, real it it, does, it actually seems like both ecosystems are gonna end up kind of broadening the what you can do with accounts kind of uh, on a roughly similar time frame which is fascinating um privacy i feel like uh, neither bitcoin nor yeah i feel like neither bitcoin nor ethereum do a good job at all at base layer though uh i would i i do have to admit that like ethereum has ended up ended up being a little bit worse than bitcoin um at base layer But I think there is a a strong agreement among communities that higher higher layer stuff needs to be done to improve privacy, right? And like you know, obviously Ethereum has Tornado Cash and Aztec and uh, this kind of growing set of things. And then on the Bitcoin side, you know, there's been all of the different uh, yes uh, wallet uh, coinjoin wallets and all and Yeah,
1: you know, maybe maybe double click on that a little bit. I, I think the the tornado cash thing is very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. It's like it's hard to tell, um, I don't know, exact like metrics, but my impression has been that at least towards the end, it seems like tornado cash probably had more just usage in terms of, you know, amount of value mm-hmm. than than coin on Bitcoin for a period of time, I think. Um, but of course, it also kind of got shut down, at least to to a certain degree. And while, I mean, you can still use the the, the smart contracts of, of Tornado Cash. Um, obviously, usage has dropped quite significantly, and and, and mm-hmm. we can we kind of discover like a bunch of like pressure
4: points that people could use, like on the front ends. Mm-hmm. One of the RPC endpoints. Yeah. So there is a fork of the front end that um has like switched switches over to a, to the different RPCs for things and like I've I've talked to you know pe- people who have uh, used it and like the, and done the full cycle and it works fine. The biggest practical downside is that if you take coins out of Tornado cash and then you go into like send them to changes or whatever then like you get hit hard and they want you to fill in 15 forms or whatever
1: yeah yeah right like it's it's difficult for people to accept those coins unless Mm -hmm. they i guess stay within the the tornado cash ecosystem or something Mm -hmm. so do do you have like thoughts about um how we might approach this differently do you think that um because honestly, th- this problem can become a problem for coin joins as well in the sense mm-hmm. that it's trivial to know that the Bitcoin came out of a coin join. Um, <coughs> so yeah. like, is, is there something you guys are, are looking into to mm-hmm. make this, I don't know, mm-hmm. this of a concern?
4: Yeah, th- this is uh, definitely a, uh, a topic of pretty intense internal discussion, I think, in the, uh, in the, the-
2: community and uh, kind of increasingly in
4: some broader spaces as well like basically the way that i see the uh, privacy um, trade-offs is that okay so first of all just from a technology point of view i am pretty uh, kind of maximalist on zk snarks as opposed to um you know monero style kind of like limited number of mix-in sort of stuff uh, just because i think uh, like at least, you know, ZK Starks give you a, yes, a security model that's easy to reason about. Whereas if you, um, you know, do this whole thing of like repeatedly mixing with small groups of people, there's like attacks that, you know, like Stuffy and Myers has talked about where like, if you receive two different uh, coins from the, from what you know is the same payer, then you can make a, you know, correlation attack against, against them. Or actually even for, if you don't know the same payer, it's like, Basically, with every coin you receive, like some, you know what some small number of possible inputs are, and then you can see the intersection, and the intersection has size one, and so you know, like you know where they came from, and like various stuff. But putting that technology question aside, uh, the uh, like the question basically becomes: How much do you reveal about the uh, history or the provenance of a particular coin? And there's basically two extremes, right? One extreme is basically making the entire transaction graph public, and the other extreme is kind of Zcash or Tornado style revealing nothing. And from a yeah, cypherpunk perspective, obviously revealing nothing is ideal. And um, you know, uh, from a cypherpunk perspective, it would be a, a, a totally um yeah, in mean, a lovely world if we could convince governments to um you know not care about enforcing things on the money si- on the money side of a transaction and um you know instead enforce what they what they care about enforcing on the on the physical side of a uh, of the transaction and like you know don't like like basically don't ban the money ban the th- ban the things that the money is being used for but uh, and then well like actually getting that... S- like That kind of mentality adopted in the world is like, especially at the at this point and in the uh, significantly less peaceful political environment than 10 years ago, it just feels like a very uh, unrealistic long shot. And then once you think about how on top of that, it probably requires switching over the tax structure to something which is, uh, you know, much less um, surveillance dependent, which is like, I think a very honorable project and, um, you know, like I show land, ta- land value taxes whatever op- as an alternative to existing taxes and every opportunity I get. But it's just uh, like it's just a, a big long shot. And so one of the um, questions that I ask is, like, is there something in the middle, something that addresses in enough of uh, people's concerns that. The constituency of people who still want there to be less privacy is uh, you know b- becomes small enough that the that the crypto space can hold its own against it but at the same time still preserves uh, like actual privacy for it, people and does that you know without relying on centralized backdoors and like all of those other things and i think the answer is yes um so there's this uh, idea called proof of innocence that a bunch of uh, ethereum projects have written about over the last half year or so and the basic idea there is that if you have providers that basically flag certain utxos as being connected to or or flag certain accounts as being connected to actions that are um like illicit funds right so i like, think of defy hacks as, as a natural example then what you can do is when you send your money through one of these privacy systems, like a mixer or whatever, then when you withdraw, you would per- create a proof that proves not just that like you're a valid deposit, but you would also prove some subset of the valid deposits that you're from. Right? So like, you as a user, you would make a proof that says, I'm someone that made a valid deposit. And by the way, I'm not one of these 45 accounts that have been flagged as being DeFi apps. Right, And the idea would be that, like the game theory is that everyone would do that because uh, anyone who is not a uh, DeFi hacker, the decrease in anonymity set that they get from excluding the DeFi hackers would be uh, uh, pretty trivial. But then DeFi hackers would be the only ones that would not be able to make that proof. And so basically you just have... The DeFi hackers are kind of anonymizing among themselves, and so if they end up trying to use that that money or deposit it in an exchange or whatever, then they would just get blocked everywhere. But everyone else would continue to have a high level of privacy. Right, and like what's interesting about this is that it is pretty robust to uh, kind of. Political polarization in the sense that like if you do something with your money that like let's say left leaning people think is evil but right leaning people are totally fine with then like you still have half your anonymity set right and half your anonymity set is a lot um, so it really kind of narrows down against that limited set of things that the the ecosystem as a whole wants to coordinate against um so the in terms of like who the providers are, like who are the people that would do the flagging, like obviously there's Chainalysis. There are some uh, kind of more decentralized community oriented groups. Like I think uh, the MetaMask team was run ran CryptoScamDB DB for some amount of time. I, I think that might not work right now, but that's something that could totally be, I mean, know stepped up and continued, and, and I expect that there would be a lot of demand for. Like basically, it would just need to be something that creates these like automated lists, where of I um, mean, you know, what all the big hacks are, and if people's wallets got stolen from, they could even self-submit the thefts. And then if you do that, then you basically have a privacy system that excludes large classes of bad people, but still gives you know backdoor-free kind of like actual privacy for everyone else. And you know, I think is
1: interesting here. Like, there's, a, yeah. there's because there's there's a there's been a similar discussion on the Bitcoin side. Um, there's mm-hmm. been this wallet called Wasabi Wallet that does coin join uh, uh-huh. things, and they ended up they have a coordinator that needs to. It, it doesn't hold funds in custody, but it, it coordinates the, the the mixes, and mm-hmm. they decided to basically censor participants uh, from from mixes if they appear on one of those you know blacklists. I think if I understand correctly, the and and there was a a lot of controversy about this, like, should they do that? Should they allow everyone to participate or not? Um, And I think what you're saying, if I understand correctly, the scheme that you're um, proposing, it would have the end users decide like they would decide Mm -hmm. if they want to have proof of innocence or not if they don't right. they, you know they can participate with others so there's no like central authority that says those people are not allowed to participate there's the end users who decide if they want to be part of it or not kind of right
4: right exactly like there's authorities in the sense that realistically there would be some set of people that end users would plug into when they uh, automatically when they decide uh, you know when they make the proofs and they decide like which people they or which uh, inputs they want to exclude from the proof but like it would be a very fluid system and uh, you know users could choose their own and they could add and re- add and remove things from from those lists if they want to so they're not like they're definitely not entrenched uh, com- compared to you know the and you know, of authorities that we would think of today or like operating mm-hmm.
1: that's a really interesting yeah. way to do this i wonder if if there was a way to apply this sort of proof of innocence to coin join solutions as well so that that get mm. out of a mix, could say, Well, I am not one of those three inputs. And maybe that's like a an easier way to solve this without a, a coordinator. But I, Interesting. I, I,
4: yeah. that's. Really I think, uh, I mean, you, yeah, you can always do off chain ZK Snarks, right? I mean, with CoinJoin, the amounts are small enough that you can even just use regular linkable ring signatures.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It should be possible. Mm. Were you going to say something, Eric?
3: No, I was just thinking like yes, you can do off-chain snarks, but I, I think um uh, an interest um uh, another very like interesting aspect to this is that if you go back to 2010 and you read what Satoshi was saying on the Bitcoin Talk forum at the time, mm-hmm. uh, he was asked about like putting uh, zero knowledge proofs to. Uh, provide privacy on-chain on Bitcoin. And I think that the technology didn't exist then. It wasn't mature, so he couldn't really figure it out. But he basically said, like, if a solution was found, a much better, easier, more convenient implementation of Bitcoin would be possible. So it's like sort of inferring that, you know, Bitcoin is the way it is right now because we couldn't figure out how to do serial knowledge-proof privacy back when he created it. Like so it, it sort of raises the question, like if you were to create a system right now, it probably wouldn't be looking at all like Bitcoin. It probably would be adopting uh privacy at the base layer. And that's sort of like adopting it at the base layer, the reason that I'm harping on this is because I mean the reason that Tornado Cash uh, causes you know problems for users now when they want to deposit into exchanges is because it's an opt-in privacy mechanic uh, mechanism, and I don't know if we're ever going to be able to. And like, in the Ethereum space, it's the same thing now with like Aztec mm. rollups. Like yes, it's a private rollup, but if you have to of deposit course. funds and then withdraw funds mm-hmm. to it, then like just the fact that you're interacting with that smart contract then like implicates your entire wallet and your entire uh, you know wallet history. So like getting base layer privacy seems like it should be a goal, but it seems like it's very difficult for Bitcoin and Ethereum to move Mm. from where they are today to like achieving base layer Mm. privacy, even more so for Ethereum, actually, Mm. because of the smart contracts.
4: Right. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I think that's fair, though. I mean, the thing I would add is that there are other blockchains that have layer privacy. And often what happens to them is that just that entire coin just gets uh, delisted from a whole bunch of exchanges. Now, I mean, of course, you could say that, like, hey, Bitcoin and Ethereum are basically, yeah too big to fail in that way and uh, like we have weight and uh, we should be willing to throw weight around to actually yeah, p- protect people's privacy but that's like a, that's a tough political game man
3: yeah uh, actually brings brings us to another topic which is that like when I talk about uh, base, layer, base layer privacy with Bitcoiners today most of them tell me that you know that ship has sort of sailed but we can have privacy in the lightning network so mm-hmm. yeah so i re- I really want to get your perspective on so i mean if you if you think about bitcoin and ethereum mm-hmm. uh in, in in broad strokes, what the ethereum community has done is that it's sort of tied itself to the mast in the sense that it believes that lightning is sufficient as as a protocol for privacy as a protocol for payments, and that's what we're gonna and now we're gonna re- let the rest of the protocol sort of ossify and we do all the innovation in in the lightning network. Whereas mm-hmm. Ethereum like, had this completely different story where you sort of tried state channels for a while with Raiden and then came to the conclusion that, well, I, actually it would be interesting for you if you could sort of walk me through mm-hmm. uh, like, going from Raiden and then deciding that actually this is not something that we're, we're going to, like, what, what was yeah. the rationale of moving away from Raiden? And how do you feel about Bitcoiners tying themselves to the mast so much with Lightning being the solution to all mm-hmm. these problems?
4: Yeah. So Ethereum actually experimented with uh, not just state channels and uh, Raiden and uh, like that whole ecosystem, but also uh, Plasma, as uh, you might remember, for like years before settling on rollups. And the, I mean, I think the reason, like, why you'd want to exhaust the possibilities there first is pretty obvious, right? With rollups, you still have to put a, a certain amount of data on chain for. Per transaction for security, whereas uh, you know with both uh, plasma and state channels uh, you don't, right? But the issues that we found were that one was uh, like state channels still don't quite scale enough in the sense that you know you, you need to make a transaction. Um, Every time you join, you need to make the the system, you need to make a transaction to leave the system. You might need to make transactions to rebalance. Um, There's a lot of this kind of internal complexity involved in rebalancing. There's like all of these capital efficiency issues, and it seemed like the capital efficiency issues would most practically get resolved with uh, centralization. And then on the plasma side, there was a, a whole different set of issues. Um, actually, yeah, ironically enough, issues that I think might have actually been solved with uh, ZK Starks, which is a uh, defragmentation. Like basically, yeah, the ch- the challenge with plasma was like if you keep on receiving coins and um, if you keep on spending coins, then when you spend, like when you spend part of some coins that you've received, then those co- like basically, those coins get represented separately. Like the only yeah time during which to the size of the yeah kind of database stored in the plasma system decreases is if you get coins from someone who just happens to be stored right beside you, which almost never happens. And so the number of uh, fragments needed to store people's coins keeps increasing. The number of fragments of your that your coins are in keeps increasing. And like with zk snarks, you could totally like make a zk snark of like basically, yeah, defragmenting, reshuffle, but before ZK starts, you couldn't, and so there was just this these technical issues that caused proof sizes to just balloon massively. And I think uh, we never properly ended up having um, having to beat that, but then or being able to beat that. But then there was also an Ethereum specific reason that I think doesn't really apply to Bitcoin as much. That really yeah, made both state channels and uh, Plus, but not not really work well for us. She has said people in Ethereum Ethereum because they don't just want payments; they also want to make more complicated applications. And the issue with state channels is like you have to learn a totally different framework, right? You have to learn totally different instincts, totally different ways of doing things. So you have to think about trust models in a totally different way. You would have to <clears throat> often just change what kinds of things you want to do because you're not able to do certain things anymore and uh, the the place where i really got that lesson um, ironically enough was actually in the early stage roll-up ecosystem like i feel like pretty much everyone has forgotten this now but even in 2020 um ethereum had a totally functioning zk roll up for ethereum transfers that worked it was amazing it was called loopring um it's uh, made by yeah, this uh, you know lovely team i think based out of shanghai yeah, they're currently working on Tyco, which is an evm zk roll up uh, but they yeah, basically beat everyone to making a yeah, system that actually does let you, um, you know, make ETH transfers at a price that was uh, less than, you know, the famous benchmark of five cents a transaction. Right. And the but the reason why that never ended up massively catching on is because people didn't want to just send ETH. people wanted to make more complicated applications. And they were not able to provide that, right? And so instead, um, you know, we basically had to wait an entire three years for, um, you know, the optimisms and our returns and scrolls and polygons to actually catch up to the same level of trustlessness with a uh, a full EVM solution. So like, I think that, that was like the big nail in the coffin, right? That uh, all of these... Uh, I kind mean of non-roll up layer two schemes, they uh, don't generalize well. And the reason why that I mean one of the ways that I think about the reason they that they don't generalize well is because uh, they uh, they depend on this abstraction where every single object has an owner, where that owner is the one who can be trusted to be responsible for maintaining and making sure that there's data that that they have the data that they need. Because that owner is the only one who suffers if the yeah, if the system tries to cheat them. And if you look at more complicated smart contract contraps, uh, contraptions, there's just lots of things that don't have owners, right? Like, who's the owner of Uniswap, for example, right? Like, there are ways to re-architect Uniswap into things that have individual logical owners. But then, like, it just starts looking like a totally different system. Like, you basically... Yeah, like you would require liquidity providers to be online, for example, right? And like the whole attraction to Uniswap of uh, Uniswap is that it's, uh, you know, liquidity providing is is this totally fire and forget thing, right? So yeah. that was, uh, yeah.
1: I'm I'm trying to like you know think of the parallels to like Bitcoin's uh, development here, and and I'm thinking about how you know you, you talk about maybe some of those solutions have not been generalized enough, and. Mm-hmm. We look at um, something like Lightning. Um, mm. Maybe, maybe Lightning kind of assumes a, a, a very specific right. um, scenario where you where you would use Bitcoin both both as a use case, but also like a set of conditions that that that, that you know that chain needs to maintain. So, for example, recently um, there's been much more on chain activity on Bitcoin than before. Um, you know, due to the ordinal stuff, probably mostly. Um, you know me and me and Eric filled a four megabyte block with a picture of a wizard of a temple mm. wizard and, and there's been a lot of like other um related activity since then and it it turns out like a funny outcome of that is that some of the lightning payments have been more difficult to do because you, then to open and close channels you sometimes during during periods of high activity you have to pay actually a lot of fees in order to maintain the 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 channels and sometimes it's even um not economical to do second layer transactions because. Actually, do you know how much?
4: It, off the top of your head, how much it costs to open or close a channel?
1: Um, no, I don't. It shouldn't be. You know, it's it's kind of a normal transaction. It shouldn't be like extremely expensive. But the it, it is at a certain point in time in the last few months, you actually had um the the <coughs> even normal transactions be pretty expensive. Like it's it's a multi sig transaction to close one. Right, right. To open one is pretty no, is is just a standard
4: transaction. Right, right. Yeah, because I, mean, I, yeah, I remember from my days of sending lots of transactions, I'd usually pay 0. 0.0001 BTC, which I guess in these days, uh, these days is about $3, which is... Uh, yeah. yeah, like the kind of the the criticism of Lightning that um, always made the most intuitive sense to me is like this issue that it doesn't do enough, right? It's like, if you do the math, like even if... like everyone wanted to use lightning on just mathematically onboarding the entire world would take like, what was it? Something like 80 years. I, I mean, we could redo the math now. Right. But it's a, uh, it's a really long time. And uh, that's, and that's not even taking into account. So like, you know, people w- wanting to rebalance or anything like that. It's like, uh, yeah, if Bitcoin does, uh, what's the usual count? It was like seven, TPS back in the days, which is five hundred thousand transactions a day, and so to onboard one billion people, you'd need two thousand days, which is about seven years, right? Like that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's
3: that's the usual that's the usual math. Like we all we all know that like the base layer Bitcoin today doesn't uh, you know scale for onboarding all the Lightning users. But I think like the pro- the problems with Lightning they're they're more than that. Like for example, right. I was listening to. Um, I was listening to uh, a podcast with David Marcus, uh, who works on LightSpark, which is a company mm-hmm. that tries to help people make lightning payments. And he was talking about, well, number one, he said that, you know, look to what people are doing uh, in, in Nostr with the Zaps. If, if you're familiar with the decentralized social network, yeah. yeah. Uh, Noster, yeah. So he talked yeah. about like how people are making Zaps. And like the reality is that ninety five percent of Nostri users use custodial solutions for Lightning, so they're custodially managed wallets that people make these mm-hmm. payments mm-hmm. with. Which is like the, the, this, uh, like if you wanted to take an example of a disaster, then that's <laughs> when I would bring that up. And then yeah. the other issue is so he mentioned that like finding if like payments uh, above like a certain like even even medium sized payments in Lightning. Uh, fail so frequently that they're looking into using ai to find better ways to predict which route of payments will work and which ones will not so it's mm-hmm. like you know when Tom, when someone is telling me that they need ai in order to make mm-hmm. a transaction then i feel like something architecturally with with this channel-based system itself is sort of too complex um yeah. and, we, and and if you think about it what you can do in a roll-up comparatively is that everyone in this twitter Twitter space right now I could i could I could uh, send a bunch of coins to everyone in this space without them having to open a channel or having to sign up. I can just mm-hmm. like, give you me, give me your addresses. You know, I don't need you to like provide liquidity or anything. I can give you tokens and, and send you payments mm-hmm. inside the second layer without there uh, actually being an onboarding mechanism. So mm-hmm. I think, I think like, mm-hmm. I just want to hear from you. Uh, do you think that as Bitcoiners, should we just try to make lightning work, try to fix it and just double down and like make the 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 base layer more scalable or use channel factories to to make uh, you know opening channels easier or are we like heading into a dead end with lightning should we look into like other Hmm. scaling solutions on bitcoin do you have like a preferred scaling solution like if you had to scale bitcoin today what type of scaling solution would you focus on would you just double down or lightning or would you explore other avenues
4: yeah that's a deep question see how do i <coughs> how do i feel about this um, the, um i mean i think one th- one thing to keep in mind is that it's not an either or right like uh, if you make the base layer 10 times cheaper then that makes the lo- that makes like light coin- or lightning 10 times cheaper right um well th- to some extent to be like if you pay for liquidity like it might like that amount might be yeah limited and like they'll be able to rebalance more, but it won't quite be 10x. But like it'll make like lightning a lot cheaper, right? One thing about lightning that I really yeah appreciate that uh, where like it does outperform um, you know rollups and uh, base layers and all of that stuff is instant finality, right? Like yep. if you send me a liquid payment just like as soon as I receive the signature. I know I have the money, right? And like that's an unconditional guarantee. Like, based, like even if you know the last like few blocks of uh, Bitcoin get reverted, like, you know I I know that I have that money. And like that, it's a really nice property. I mean, obviously, in a lot of like practical small value payments uh, use cases, it's like actually, you know, you actually don't need that level of security because like. Like if you look at restaurants, like if you wanted to cheat, you know you can totally just walk, you know, put down some not some small number of bills that like actually pays only a quarter of what you have to pay, and just like confidently walk out of the restaurants, and you'll be like a few hundred meters away by the time they figure out something is wrong, right? And like in in reality, enough people are honest that you know restaurants to work totally fine, despite the ability to do something like that, right? And so, you know, not waiting for confirmations is okay, but I think still, you know, the instant finality is a bonus. Then the other thing that I would uh, consider also is, uh, I would actually consider plasma. Um, just uh, like the big, the two biggest weaknesses of uh, plasma that I yeah, mentioned, right? One is the defragmentation problem, which I think with the ZK-Starks, you might actually be able to solve. And the second is... The uh, challenge, um, the fact that it's not very generalizable, well, but like for payments, you don't really need to care. Right. So like that could be an interesting POC to try. Like, can you create a uh, plasma implementation that solves those those challenges and uh, like make that work as an option? And like you can stack these things on top of each other, right? like you can make lightning on top of plasma, you can make lightning on top of uh, the main chain. you can make a system where all three exist as payment options, and it tries to automatically find um, you know which which one of them actually works. You know you can have a system where like if you if if the system detects that that you're making a payment to a new user, then like it would automatically you yeah, know I mean, create a yeah, plasma uh, payments to them and like even automatically open a channel or some or something like that so there's things that you can do and i think in general one of the things that i've learned from ethereum from just like an ecosystem perspective is that i think this is something that ethereum really shares with bitcoin right which is that doing things in consensus is hard but doing things outside of consensus is uh really easy right it's uh, <clears throat> like I mean I think well, to be fair, it's like a property of social systems in general right like it's it's easier to make Uber than it is to actually solve public transit unfortunately uh, but but you know the 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 deep reasons why that's true are just, hey, you know, coordination is hard, and uh, making anything that kind of route just involves a couple of people in a corner working independently. It's like it takes much less effort than it takes to make something that that does require kind of everyone to go along and agree with it. And so, if you just have different groups working on these pieces, and then at the same time have an L one, um, you know, a scaling roadmap, and like trying to figure out how to just support more raw transactions on l 01. Like I think that's uh, something that is totally viable and uh, could work um, with rollups in particular. Another uh, like one other thing to think about is that there's this tradeoff between making a zk rollup versus making the chain itself like more scalable by using the exact same technology, right? like because like the only reason like a roll up is uh, more scalable is that basically the nodes of the blockchain instead of uh, you know re-verifying the transactions directly they're re-verifying a ZK stark of the transactions right but then if you just have a protocol where the thing all full nodes do is they just verify a ZK Stark of correctness of the entire block instead of uh, verifying the block directly then like that gives you the exact same thing right so Yeah, like that would be another route. Like basically, yeah, you know, we have ZK EVMs. Like actually I wonder, is there a project that's trying to make a ZK BTC thing right now? Like a thing that verifies full Bitcoin block validity, including all um including all the scripting rules using a ZK snark?
3: well mm-hmm. there's there's a number of projects so there's one that's currently live, but it's not it, it's basically just to make initial block download so the the, the, the initial mm-hmm. sync there's a project called zero sync which mm-hmm. uh, allows people to basically catch up to the latest chain tip using a zero knowledge proof and right. actually the, the the bitcoin uh sorry the block stream satellites actually beam down these proofs from space at the moment mm-hmm. uh but this, it's it's a, it's a super interesting uh, question, because if you go back to like what, I, what I told you initially about getting called potentially dangerous, the next day, uh, Gregory Maxwell said that that very idea of using uh, um, ZK rollups to scale a blockchain, that he had a similar idea to that. He called it coin witness, and it's not really the same thing. But one of the more interesting things <laughs> that he said there was that if, if uh, ZK rollups end up scaling Ethereum, he doesn't see any reason for uh, Bitcoin for the Bitcoin uh, community and the Bitcoin technology stack not to adopt similar technologies. So I think, like even among like Gregory Maxwell and those core developers, mm-hmm. uh, the, the stance has always been that you know if you know zk rollups work, uh, then we should you know, adopt that. Uh, into bitcoin and what we i think where we are at the moment is that you know it's going to take like to get the opcodes included into bitcoin to actually do that is going to take a couple of years but what we can do in the meantime is uh building sovereign uh zk rollups on bitcoin as sort of yeah. a test bed and see like is there demand for uh using the bitcoin block space in this fashion and maybe we can have like not completely trustless right. uh, versions of bitcoin inside that sovereign rollup but maybe we mm-hmm. can use like tbtc like threshold bitcoin and just mm-hmm. to test test it out so i know that there's a lot of interest in building sovereign zk rollups on bitcoin that has, has just like started to blossom up recently mm-hmm. so there are, there is like a, a revitalized interest in looking into okay mm-hmm. if we're going to run a sovereign rollup on bitcoin what should it be like should it be a ZK EVM, or should it be like uh like should we use like starknet and cairo like what's the actual mm. execution environment that we should look into mm. that is a, a conversation that is uh currently yeah. happening but right. what i thought what i thought was interesting what you said like you, you mentioned plasma and the thing mm. that sort of comes to mind is that you know with plasma like if we put if we implemented the necessary opcodes into Bitcoin to be able to run Plasma. And I think Covenants is the obvious one, but there are probably like mm-hmm. verifying a Merkle route. Do you think like through that, would we also be able to access like uh, uh, more expressive virtual environments through that without having to implement those expressive virtual machines at the base layer mm. itself because the, the whole the whole the reason <clears throat> that we're mostly yeah. looking into zero knowledge proofs is because like we think that we can just implement you know a stark verify op code and then we get access right. to and en- you know endless expressivity. but do you think that we right. also would get access to that by doing sort of a plasma style uh, second layer on Bitcoin?
4: Um, it's not the same thing right because uh, plasma does have these limitations to its expressivity that I mentioned. Um, like there, there are some things that you would be able to do, but then I think to do those things well, like to make something that ego, that is kind of non-trivial beyond payments, I think, uh, realistically, the easiest way to do it would be using snarks. And then like, yeah, like one, if you can, you know, implement elliptic curve pairings or, um, you know, even a nova verifier or what um, or or whatever then like yeah that's basically yeah like you you can totally stick in a virtual machine in there
3: okay but so so that, like if you were like no longer a researcher in ethereum and you're now a researcher on bitcoin and the and like your task is to scale bitcoin then yeah. your first order of business would be like a pra- plasma proof of concept
4: I think that's definitely, yes, something that I would, one of the big things that I would put a team on.
3: Um, I did, actually did not expect like, that.
4: Yeah. In terms of the node scale, um, kind of scaling problem, actually, I, w- I wanted to ask, like, what is sort of the, both kind of the technical and the political vibe on it? Because uh, I remember like four or five years ago, there was some really beautiful stuff. I think Taj uh, Dria was uh, working on this, right? A huge re like basically the equivalent of uh, what Ethereum would call stateless clients. and That would uh, make it possible to verify the chain without needing significant amounts of hard disk space and uh, would get even more people nodes, even if the chain grows bigger. Like actually has huge re like made progress? Has, been, has it been adopted more recently?
3: No, I think mm-hmm. that uh, it's. Re- I think I, I, I might be misremembering, mis- but I think that one of the issues with it is that it doesn't decrease bandwidth uh, right. requirements. So I would
4: say it's a bottleneck. Like bandwidth,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so even though it might reduce like storage, mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not sure if it actually. If it's, I'm not sure if it's like big enough of an improvement to the bottlenecks mm-hmm. that are important for right. it to have been considered
4: as, like, okay, maybe as a proper uh, upgrade. Maybe like a way to ask the question more generally is that uh, if I were as a uh, you know, Bitcoin developer were to suggest increasing the block size to 32 megabytes right now, what would be the top five arguments that would get um, hurled against me?
1: No, that's a good one.
3: Well, or do you want to hurl you, some well, arguments? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's difficult to think. Well, I mean, I would if, if if you told me that you're going to try to get consensus for a, for a 32 megabyte block size increase, then, you know, there's just not the political, uh, you know, there's there's not enough people that are going to be like on board with that, I think,
4: at the moment, like there's just not the political will. Why, why would the other people be on board with that?
1: I think it's probably cultural and political reason, like I. But you know, but that's mm. that's a reason too, right? Like I, yeah. I think maybe it would have been easier to have this conversation, um, if it didn't have all this baggage that that it has. But I honestly think it's good. Mm. This is this is because this is going to be like the first thing that people reject just just as an instinct. I think, and right. other things would probably be easier to push forward first. Right, right. Of course, yeah. No, I think that makes
3: sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like where mm-hmm. Bitcoiners are in their mindset at the moment is that I mean uh, there's one scaling proposal that got a lot of uh interest recently, which is ARC. Um so ARC uh, basically it ha- it has a very different relationship to uh capital. Like it's it's like lightning, but it has a different relationship to um uh, uh inbound liquidity challenges. It basically mm-hmm. concentrates all the liquidity constraints on sort of a service provider that has to have tons and tons of bitcoin and then it can sort of provide this liquidity in the network for people who want to make payments uh, but it doesn't require for you to receive a payment to have that liquidity yourself uh, so like my interpretation from that is that there is an appetite in bitcoin for other types of layer two solutions but that the Bitcoin ecosystem hasn't really figured out what are the best layer two solutions that we could build and for me that's kind of confusing because I think that it's been known for a long time that you know mm-hmm. either either validiums or validity rollups is mm-hmm. sort of the the direction that that you that you yeah. would want to go in um, mm-hmm. what you said about plasma sounds potentially interesting too, but it's like um it feels like the bitcoin ecosystem wants to fully exhaust other layer two solutions before it will admit or accept that okay well let's just go back then and increase the block size. like it feels that would be like a big failure case for yeah, the bitcoin yeah. culture to to just i think
1: <laughs> you know beyond scaling there's also something else though because like scaling is a, one goal of this but the interesting side effect well it's more than a side effect but if if, if we adopted roll-ups for bitcoin we actually get an execution environment too, and we mm-hmm. get you know suddenly we can do on that second layer we can do smart contracts. I think in Ethereum people don't think of it in that way as much because they already have smart contracts on the base layer. Right. But if you if you put that on Bitcoin, you actually extend the functionality in a
4: very meaningful way. Yeah. Um, so it's not just a scaling question. Right. That is that is a great point. So, uh, though, like the thing that I would add though is that uh, a. Yeah, a, a zk EVM rollup is like a whole level of uh, complexity on top of a, yeah, a, a zk rollup that just does payments, right? Like as I mentioned, I mean, you we had the ring zk rollup back in 2020, it took us until 2023 to have zk EVM rollups that were getting comfortable with like actually, yeah, you know, handing the keys over to the Z, uh, to, to the zk proof systems. So. It's uh, from the point of view of a uh, you know conservative Bitcoiner who wants to pay lower fees. A uh, a payment only uh, you know, a validity rollup would be easier for them to justify than like a full on uh, zkVM capable uh, validity rollup. But then, yeah, like I think like you don't necessarily want to say you know either you are one of these. Um, you know, conservative old hats, and um you know, you gotta pay fourteen dollars twenty five cent fees for everything because that's what you signed up for, or you have to kind of go all, all the way on the other side and be an ethereum person with uh, with a different base layer. like I think it feels right to offer options that are in the middle yeah i gotta I gotta ask because I know people will kill me if I don't ask this
3: question. Um, so do you have any thoughts at all around drive chains? I think that sort of with drawing it's the, the the discussions that you've been having recently around restaking they're sort of similar mm. to drive chains but maybe mm. they're even worse in the restaking case because you have slashing but do you have any thoughts about like drive chains Like, could, do you think that that could be an avenue
4: to be explored um, yeah well so my impression of what drive chains are right is that they do rely on like, basically different subsets of miners to secure them Yep. And I think um, this, like the limitation of this, gets right back into the point of, uh, you know, like what is the thing that Bitcoiners and Ethereum people agree on that, um, you know, both alt layer ones and, um, you know, I, the fiat world does not, which is, like, you know, users being able to personally verify and, like, having guarantees about the integrity of the system that survive even in the face of 51% attacks. Because right, like that just is the reason to actually verify things instead of just uh, reading the proof of work and trusting everything else. And like, if you go the drive chain route, then you're basically saying that, like, all of the coins that are in these other systems are going to be. Like basically, they're not under this user sovereignty security model. They become under the fifty-one percent honesty security model, and I think, in a certain sense, the, the the risk is that it might actually be worse than putting all of Bitcoin under the fifty-one percent um, miner security model because it's. Uh, <coughs> It's you know it's it's kind of like how uh, back in the 1950s the geopolitical thinkers they were actually they were not the most afraid of the big nukes they were the most afraid of the little nukes and the reason why they were afraid of the little nukes is that they were literal little enough that people would actually consider using them and uh, once they get used that would kind of you know break the the norm and then it would just escalate all the up um, all the way up and so sort of the equivalent concern here is. Right now, it's like if we enter a world where like, miners can steal money, it's like they can either steal nothing or they can wreak huge amounts of havoc and double spend everyone, right? But then if you start creating these subsystems where, that have lower fees, that have miners participating in different subsystems, then you suddenly give miners this intermediate choice of like, hey, I, I don't just have to, um, you know, either be honest or steal a huge amount of money but at the same time unleash Armageddon that might lead to change the proof of work algorithm. I, I could I also have this other option I could only I could only steal a few thousand Bitcoin from these people using this tiny subsystem over here. And I just know that you know if we do that there's only a few people that are gonna get hurt and there's just not going to be enough political will to disempower me as a result. Right. So by the way
3: mm-hmm. Oh and I'll change okay. your point.
4: No, i i I think I got uh, roughly a finished place I don't want yeah. to run on it yeah
3: no so i think I think one thing that you might be uh you know miss ha, have like slightly like incorrect perspective on is that like, when you say that you know you if we focused on making a layer two on bitcoin, the goal should be like to make it as payment oriented as possible because bitcoiners don't want to do smart contracts. that's not necessarily actually I don't think that's actually a correct Uh, Mm. way of thinking about Mm. why bitcoiners don't like smart contracts what what bitcoiners don't like about smart contracts is running this heavy computation on chain and then having Mm. a base layer uh, smart contracts uh, getting Mm. into bugs and then that giving you know reason to fork the chain and stuff like that that is Mm. what bitcoiners are afraid of but i'm not so sure that Bitcoiners Mm -hmm. are again, and I actually think that they are actually in favor, I I think that at least Gregory Maxwell has said it multiple times that if Bitcoin could act as just sort of a proof system, like just verifying... Mm -hmm. Zero knowledge mm-hmm. proof that verify that some computation was done correctly. Mm-hmm. If that's how you do smart contracts, that, that the main chain only processes these proofs, mm-hmm. then I actually think that Bitcoiners would not be... I mean, if you think about like, what is the reason that Blockstream exists as a company? The reason mm-hmm. that Blockstream exists as a company is because they wanted to reuse the security of the Bitcoin main chain to uh, create side chains with endless you know, different... Uh, you know execution environments and smart contract compatib- uh, capabilities so it was always like actually uh, uh an interest with, like you can, you have a, your perspective on this probably also but my perspective is that we always wanted to do actually like defi adjacent mm-hmm. things or so actually defi things on bitcoin but we wanted the bitcoin base layer to just act as sort of a a judge or an arbiter of that computation and not have to run the computation on chain. So mm-hmm. I think that you know we sh- we shouldn't necessarily just be thinking about second layers as a way to make payments but I think we mm-hmm. could also think about them mm-hmm. like how would we if we wanted to do ex- expressive things also Uh, I think that there is an appetite for that. It's just that that has become so much associated with Ethereum that it's sort of, you know, people are saying that that's bullshit just because Ethereum is doing it. But, Mm. I mean, Bitcoiners wanted to do that way before, uh, you know, Ethereum was even doing it.
4: Okay, that's a a fair point. And, you know, know, ultimately you spend much more time with the Bitcoin audience than I do so. You no know, points taken. I think it's uh, yeah. It it all depends on like whether the yeah, like to what extent the issue is people being afraid that their own money is in a yeah, system that has that that would be in, or it would be in a subsystem that would have higher software bug risk because there's all of this other smart contract stuff happening versus to what extent people are actually yeah, you know fine with taking that risk and they and they want the layer one to be protected and if it's like almost entirely the latter. Then I agree. That's a strong consideration in favor of uh, like basically using this, um, you know, ZK uh, roll-up opportunity as an uh, opportunity to push and functionality at the same time.
1: Right. Yeah. I think it could, it could make Bitcoin do way more than people kind of expect it to. It could allow Bitcoin to do way more than people expect it to. I think there's, There's an interesting point uh, that we've been kind of repeating a few times here. I'm going to want to come back to technical stuff in a minute, but there's this interesting point we talked about, you know, kind of consensus building and, and the the (laughs) difference between building things in a permissionless way and, and, and having to do things that require consensus. And, you know, like this is, I think this is something that definitely me and Eric, and I know that a bunch of people in, in Bitcoin have been thinking about um maybe more in the last year or so, and one thing we noticed i don't know I don't know if you had like similar experiences to the, to this, but like one thing we noticed <laughs> since we started like the topwood wizards things and the Ornal things um which mm. was basically like memes you know like because we mm. tried we, we tried to put forward those kind of ideas for you know, over a year for sure right mm. um and I feel like the first time that we were able to gain more traction and get people to really think about it more was when we started to use those those memes, you know, maybe of a bold wizard and, and some other stuff. Mm. And I I wonder if if you've seen because I know that Ethereum um, community and the Ethereum culture had you know has a big place for memes in in almost in the development process. And I, I wonder if you feel the same way about it. If you think that it helps or can help in consensus building or is that just something you guys do for fun?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely fun, but at the same time, like, you know, the willingness to have fun is uh, something that is itself a statement in a, in a certain way, right? Like it's uh, you know, a statement uh, that it's like kind of an antidote to fundamentalism in some ways. Right like uh, like fundamentalists are just not able to have fun and uh, laugh at themselves and, and and the work that they're doing and um, you know it's a, it's a it's a nice bonding activity and um, you know like lo- lots of people enjoy it it makes the uh, ecosystem more interesting for uh, for a lot of people and yeah i don't know i thought the you know, i i think the, the, the bitcoin wizard is a great meme i uh know i I saw that, um, you know, you guys are reviving it and I think that's amazing.
3: Yeah. So one thing about bringing like fun and, and magic into Bitcoin and doing like sovereign roll-ups on top of Bitcoin and even talking about CK rollups on Bitcoin, I think like smart contracts aside, well, not necessarily aside, but I think a big fear that the Bitcoin ecosystem has at the moment is that uh when when we're when we start doing this like it starts with nfts on bitcoin and then it turns into tokens and then people start who would want to put those tokens into automated market makers it feels like we might be bringing the monster of mev into bitcoin also and we have Mm -hmm. seen sort of how how mev has needed ethereum to re-architect its entire block creation and block building process um, mm. Like liaising with different uh, like companies, like mm. uh, like using oh. things like MEV boost, and to to sort of alleviate the centralization risk that happens when you have uh, large amounts of MEV in a system. So like. It, if you if you if if we're thinking right right now, there's not that much MEV happening on Bitcoin. We're not really doing that much smart contract uh, related activities. And you have you you're full of you 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 have full up to your boots with these issues in the Ethereum world. Do you think that we should just like stay on the sidelines a bit more and <laughs> and see how it how it turns out for you guys, or have you gotten more optimistic in thinking that? Actually, there's positive MEV and there's negative MEV, and if you can harness mm. the positive MEV, you can actually use it to secure your chain more, So that's sort of another issue that we have with, with Bitcoin, is that mm. it not, it's not generating enough fees. So, like, how should we approach MEV? Is it is it a monster that we should run away from, or should we try to siphon a transaction, like a, a compensation mm-hmm. for, for miners uh, through this beast?
4: Right. right. And I guess... Uh, Theoretically, yeah, um, like like Bitcoin mining is very pool driven already, right? So you should be able to just uh, like basically have pools run builder software that's similar to the builder software that exists today, and then basically do the same kinds of censorship resistant stuff that it, that Ethereum is looking into to try to give individual miners more autonomy to fix to, to of force force in uh, transactions that they saw, even if builders are censoring them. You mean like and CR list and
3: inclusion list? Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna have to take on that entire. I mean, that's not that's not a small thing. That's like kind of a yeah, big I mean, thing to to right. To, that is
4: that, that is fair. No, I mean, I know with stuff like the Stratum protocol, there's like. A pretty existing deep history and like giving miners or, or ha- having ways to give to to let miners kind of enforce things about what kind of uh, what kind of a block they're built they're building on top of even if they're sharing fees with the pool right so yeah i mean it's uh though it is a challenge i guess uh, in the shorter term like the realistically if you do everything with l2s the in the MEV would probably end up being fairly small. I mean, it depends on how the L2s are architected, obviously, right? Like the question is basically, yeah, if we imagine a scenario where, for example, you know, you guys have um, you know ordinals and let's say in the future ordinals get pushed onto uh, onto layer twos. And then somebody does a sale, and uh, they start um, like basically selling one hundred and eighty million dollars of digital monkeys. and it just so happens that they d- it architected their sale incorrectly, and you can make a hundred million dollar profit by making sure that you buy up all of the monkeys within like basically the next layer two block and And so there's a hundred million dollar price tag on to be able to get the next layer two block onto the chain. then. If the layer two is architected in such a way that, um, that it's uh, like basically anyone can submit a yellow layer two block, then that competition does propagate to layer one. And then you have this kind of annoying situation where if anyone can reorg the chain, then they'll be able to like basically grab the $100 million bounty for themselves. Yeah, I, like, get,
3: I get what you're saying, no. you're talking about like based roll-ups, create more meV for the yeah, for the main. Exactly. and so so if we yeah. wanted to have if we wanted to have uh, second layers, expressive second layers on Bitcoin, yeah. we would want them to be sort of sequenced mm-hmm. in a right. more exactly. uh, separated way so that, so that they they're they're in control of the of the block order, and like they would still be trustless in the sense that right. they can't do anything wrong because we validate what they do with validity mm-hmm. proof so they can't do anything invalid but we wouldn't, yeah. uh, we wouldn't let sort of the ordering happen by the Bitcoin miners because then Bitcoin mining could be like a, a place for reorgs and it could just create havoc when the Bitcoin miners have full autonomy of how these transactions are ordered. Is that, is that sort of what, yeah. what you're getting at? Yeah,
4: exactly. From an l one mep perspective sequenced rollups so, are definitely safer than based rollups.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree.
1: That's good. So we sold the <laughs> <laughs> hmm. yeah it's um it's it's this one thing that i mean hmm. it's it's funny like there's um you can kind of tell apart <laughs> eric has been talking about this before you can kind of tell apart who's serious by if they're scared if they're scared of the mev enough <laughs> or they just scared <laughs> of the jpegs mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah those those things definitely can happen but also i don't know like it's it's kind of almost inevitable to If if a chain is used, and yeah. if there is any meaning to to the ordering, then it is inevitable that there will be some level of MEV, right? Yeah,
4: totally. The question is, like, how much, right? Because, um, you know, even today, there's benefits from, like, having better latency and then everyone else being able to see all of the transactions first, having, um, you know, better like fee algorithms and all kinds of things. So it's uh I mean I, I actually yeah even I remember back in twenty seventeen when actually I think, yeah, like right now is uh is replaced by fee kind of like standard yet or not, right? Because remember back in twenty seventeen it wasn't. It's um, pretty it's pretty it's pretty widespread. Uh, okay. Yeah. Because like back when there wasn't replaced by fee, I remember Bitcoin had this weird thing where you'd basically, yeah, you'd send a transaction and then the fees were volatile. And so the fee would go up. And then because there's no replace by fee, there is no way to retroactively increase the fee on the transaction. And so the transaction would be in limbo until it drops out of the mempool. And then there were these services that would charge you to like basically get the transaction included and they would do yeah, yeah. that through direct contracts with mining pools and then i guess just to troll, they, yeah accepted bitcoin cash for payment and it was uh,
3: yeah tra- transaction acceleration the, yeah, the point yeah, is like basically that the mab already exists on bitcoin and has existed on uh, on bitcoin right exactly I mean, yeah. yeah like there
4: were things like this that like have popped up and uh, I guess they haven't been fatal so far, right, so like it's definitely not the case that like it's this super fragile system, and like even a thousand dollars of uh centralization incentive is gonna make everyone join the same pool, right because like if that was true, then like the first person who hates Bitcoin would just like publicly announce that they're donating a thousand dollars to whoever the biggest pool is, and that would break the system, I and mean, like that hasn't happened, so yeah, like I think it's you definitely don't want to kind of. Be too like over catastrophize the fragility, but you know it is a problem, and it's definitely worth being pragmatic about
3: so let me let me ask um if you uh, were tasked with sort of rebuilding ethereum today uh from scratch and you know let's pretend that ethereum doesn't exist, do you think that you would have built a system that on the base layer it's more restricted in terms of what you can do so that base layer you can sort of only do fraud proofs and validity proofs and maybe some liquid staking uh, and then you would want sort of all the application activity to happen inside of rollups or are you happy with the way that you sort of have base layer application smart contracts even at the base layer Uh, or is there some other way that you would re-architect that would make more sense
4: so I'm not sure it's possible to make a uh, base layer that, that is friendly to fraud person validity, proofs, but not full execution. Like, right? The internals of some of these systems are complex, right? You're talking about like log and round games that impose one week timeouts and I uh, you know the timeouts like, are cumulative in some cases and, um, you know, complicated incentive games for you know, defining who gets to be the sequencer. Like the kind of if you're able to support that kind of logic, then you are able to support having EVM layer one, right? Well, or even a down. Yeah. Well,
3: yeah. So, I mean, what we're yeah. thinking about mm-hmm. doing in Bitcoin is to mm-hmm. uh, support just a few opcodes, like covenant opcodes and uh, op start mm-hmm. verify opcodes, to just get the minimal things mm-hmm. there, so that we could have a, a zk right. rollup on top of Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. I'm, I think that that, I mean, of course, covenants mm-hmm. open up for more. Express, like it does give you, you can write more uh, complex applications on Bitcoin, but it doesn't give you like full Turing completeness. So I think, like, if we think about it from that lens, that if you just put the minimum uh, opcodes onto Bitcoin to run a, a, hmm. a ZK rollup on there, then we wouldn't have like full
4: base layer expressiveness, right?
3: Right. Okay. So I think if you
4: exclude optimistic rollups and you only focus on ZK rollups and it gets substantially easier because like optimistic rollups are the ones that require this kind of complicated bouncing back and forth, like multi-participant internal state logic. The validity rollups they can just rely on, um, you know, verifying some uh, a couple of polynomial equations, right? Like and just and, have, and,
3: yeah. and plasma are plasma much simpler than optimistic rollups then, because you you I, mm-hmm. I remember that you proposed plasma as a proof of concept on Bitcoin and. Would would Plasma also require a bunch of more uh
4: basic? Um, your- if it wants to do anything more complicated than payments, then it would. Yeah. But if you really want right. to do payments, okay. then. then yeah. That makes sense. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think like going down, like not going that extremely, I do think I would have uh, designed Ethereum to be a kind of. More opaque in a whole bunch of uh, different ways, like just simple stuff, like contracts should not be able to read code as bytes, right? Because if you can read code as bytes, then it just like totally hamstrings the your ability to like change anything about how the protocol works while at the same time preserving the guarantee is that ever that everything on chain is going to work the way that it did before. Like there's just a lot of really tiny. This decisions that are like that, like I probably would have made the VM a significantly higher level language than it ended up being. Um, you know, would not have made the word size 32 bytes. Like, there's a lot of simplifications and kind of encapsulations that are so. If we
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. if we if we sort of sorry, um, if we Mm -hmm. sort of go back a little bit to to the to the to the question. Like when you look at the Bitcoin ecosystem today, do you feel mm-hmm. like there's? Do you look at it sometimes and feel like you want to yell at them and say that they should be trying this or be trying that? Or like, how do you feel about it? like? Do you think that we're on our way mm-hmm. to make a, you know, a great alternative to sovereign money apart from Ethereum? Mm-hmm. Or are there things that we're sort of missing out on from the sort of research and development that has been like? Do you think that we should just continue on the path or these things that we're talking about right now, ZK rollups? Like, do, do you actually think that that is something that we should be looking into um, in Bitcoin?
4: Yeah, and I think focusing on ZK rollups is good and uh, being open to ZK Snark based uh, scaling solutions is uh, very good. I'd say, yeah, I mean, the way that I've been looking at Bitcoin for the last five years is like basically, okay. you know, this ecosystem has really weird politics and the politics is holding it back. And I totally do not relate to or vibe with the politics at all. And so what's the like, what's the point of, um, you know, me yelling at it? Because that probably won't even accomplish anything because I'm sure they look at me the same way. Um, so, you know, I think uh, I, I definitely see signs of hope now that, you know, we have uh, ordinals that are starting to kind of bring back a culture of um, actually doing things. That, like, it feels like there is real pushback to the, uh, to the laser eye movement, which is uh, good. It, uh, it feels like there's... Yeah, like some kind of uh, organic re- return of builder culture, which uh, w- w- which is definitely a positive sign to see. And I think uh, zk stuff is a yeah uh, is a great place to channel it. Like it's, uh, I mean, it's obvious to me, right? Like now that that technology exists, it's like it like like I've compared it to transformers in AI, right? Like it's this new general purpose thing that's just so powerful that like from now on, obviously the things that we build are going to be built on top of it. Mm-hmm. so like- i I, f- I
3: forget what what you uh, have said in the past about like are you in the camp where you think that if bitcoin just continues the way it is it's very likely that the mining subsidies uh you know that the, that the that the fees in bitcoin will not be sufficient to sustain the security such that we will have to look into inflation in order to, like tail emission in order to secure like do you see it as do you, do you see that maybe ordinals could actually help Bitcoin retain the twenty-one million cap, or were you never worried about the twenty-one million cap?
4: Yeah, I mean that's definitely been like one of my one of my concerns the whole time. That like the fees being like basically Bitcoin being affordable to use and Bitcoin being able to pay. Um, for a yeah, good amount about of security through just fees, like by itself, it just did not really seem practical to, or like like it, it seemed like there was a mathematical impossibility between both. And um, so, I mean, NFT is obvious and ordinals obviously introduce another kind of demand, but like, which is good. They do re kind of retain the mathematical fact, which is like, because, you know, 500,000 500, transactions a day. Therefore, Bitcoin security budget equals five hundred thousand times uh, whatever amounts people actually pay per day, and so for that to be high, amount, the only way for that to be higher is for the uh, amount that people pay per transaction to be higher. And like, ordinals don't fix that, but some of these other scaling ideas by moving activity to some kind of layer two um, potential, or maybe in the in the longer term future, you know, leading to Bitcoin layer one upgrades potentially do. Yeah,
3: um, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking though, like if we started to do zk rollups on on Bitcoin, I'm I'm just thinking that the mm. Ethereum community is going to say, well, you have zk rollups on Bitcoin, but you don't have proto sharding, you don't have blob space, so our our rollups are going to be like way suckier than the Ethereum uh, rollups that have sort of you know catered and designed their <laughs> entire chain to provide massive amounts of block space. Uh, ephemeral uh, block space so that you can run your your rollups much you know faster and with way more throughput in them so i'm wondering like are we going to be like the dollar tree uh, rollups with our uh you know our very limited zk rollups or do you think that you know, even bitcoin should start to experiment with these uh, Protodank sharding uh, mm. uh, uh, also like is yeah. that, that's the next that's, that's the next question that you get into yeah. like how do we how do
4: we now make controversial to the Bitcoin security Hawks so it's probably I mean if you have like let's see if you have uh four megabytes every 600 seconds that's uh about sixty seven uh kilobytes a second which is uh you know definitely uh, definitely significant like much less than where ethereum is going with the sharding but it's, uh, like, it's still enough to do... It's a start, right? It's hundreds, a start. Yeah, it's enough to do hundreds of times more transactions a second than you are currently do, right? And so I think, uh, yeah, like, you can totally stick to that, or, like, basically, yeah, let this, let it prove itself at that scale. And, like, you're only, by the time you get to, like... A situation where it feels like 700 transactions a yes second could have happening on roll-ups is not enough and you need more blob space like that's a, a place where Bitcoin is much more successful already
3: yeah I always end up in the same sort of um, situation when I'm thinking okay how am I gonna how am I gonna sort of solve the the problems of lightning well I'll do a ZK roll-up on Bitcoin and then I'll do um, uh, in order to like I'll do something with inclusion lists and CR lists make sure that I don't have censorship on my chain and then i'll do something like protodank charting uh to 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 make the throughput better but then i'm like wait a minute am i not just turning bitcoin into ethereum uh and like mm-hmm. is, is there maybe a point for bitcoin just to be like diametrically op- opposite to like is, mm-hmm. maybe you maybe you sleep better at night knowing mm-hmm. that bitcoin is this uh digital mm-hmm. gold that you know, can't fuck up in the same way that Ethereum can fuck up. Like, maybe it's also good to not do anything with, with Bitcoin.
4: Yeah, I definitely think there is value in Bitcoin making enough choices d- differently from Ethereum that, like, the two are not going to get taken down by the same thing.
1: All right. Yeah, I think, like, if, if you know, there's an interesting angle where Bitcoin focuses on the... um. Kind of the more basic things, I guess, but still adds functionality in that in that point you you end up with like I would say bitcoin doesn't turn into ethereum because ethereum, in my view at least stays you know this developer platform for um you know use cases we may probably haven't thought of yet. Bitcoin can become. You know, it stays digital gold. It it maintains its first principle. It maintains its reliability. It ma- maintains its, you know, immutability. Um, but it adds slowly some of those features that have been proven in other ecosystems. Very interestingly, this is something that Bitcoiners used to talk about very yeah, often. Yeah, yeah. I was on.
3: I was just I was just thinking about that. That this this whole conversation now is exactly that. That. Uh, we're learning from Ethereum, and then we're taking the the best parts of it, and we're discussing whether or not like it makes sense to put into Bitcoin. It's because that has has been the narrative all along that we're gonna observe the Ethereum ecosystem, we're gonna watch them go through all the motions and all the growing pains, and then if something that's interesting uh, pops out of it at the end, we'll entertain the idea. We'll wrote the we'll write a bit, and we'll see if it gets consensus. Like that has always been the narrative of, of Bitcoin, and it's just like. Finally, we're finally here. Like after all this time, we're finally having this conversation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we will get If you mean, yeah. interesting yeah, to I really see. Think,
1: I really think, you know, one of the very interesting things on, about the process, it took me a long time to appreciate it and understand it myself. I think the process of how Ethereum does things and develops, you know, we talked about, um, Eric, you asked, what if, you know, what if Vitalik tried to um, design Ethereum from scratch today? What would he have done differently? And of course, that's an interesting academic discussion, but it's it's not realistic, right? Because you have to you have to start from where Ethereum started, and you have to do to learn through that process. You have to try things; some of them are going to fail, in order to reach the the design that you think is the correct design. Like you can't just sit down and write it down. You have to go through the motions in order to reach that conclusion. That of course takes years. I think Bitcoin early on decided um i don't know if it was explicitly or implicitly but bitcoiners early on kind of decided to not do that dance right to kind of sit by and look as other ecosystems go through these motions but the the, the crucial part <laughs> of that strategy was that once they figure it out we're going to we're going to take the good parts that was like that was a very crucial part because if you don't then then by definition you're going to be and you're gonna end up with a suboptimal system, right? Because you you didn't end up with the best design either when you started, right? As, as Bitcoiners,
4: right? Yeah. If only we could end, we could have perfect foresight and end up with the best system at the start. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
1: think people in Bitcoin, uh, at least, and I I tend to I try to like make the distinction between kind of the online Bitcoin community and and, and most Bitcoiners. I think most Bitcoiners like. Most Bitcoiners are probably also Ethereum holders, or at least a mm-hmm. very large percentage of them. And and yeah. um so I think most Bitcoiners are not opposed to Ethereum in any way. Um but the the loud voices on social media have been like almost making fun of Ethereum for oh, they change their mind constantly, oh they <laughs> they jump between those scaling mm-hmm. solutions. But it's like, well, maybe this is the only way to do it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's. I think for me, like this is like one of the main lessons. Like, if 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 we want to push Bitcoin forward, we have to we have to do those experiments in some capacity, and we probably want to do it do those experiments in a way that does not, you know, risk Bitcoin's stability. But we still have to somehow do them, maybe on other ecosystems, maybe in a sovereign roll up way, maybe in other ways. But like, we need to do something because there's no way that the design we happened to start with is the perfect design <laughs> that just never happened.
4: Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. Yep. No, nope, I agree.
1: Anyways. Yeah. You know, Vitalik, I would, um, I think we're probably like getting to, to the end of the space. We we made it a little longer than we planned because we had all of those, <laughs> all of those uh, amazing hiccups in the beginning. But, um, I wanted to tell you, like, I thought this was an amazing discussion and, I would love to see you do more of those, like the in, in the context of Bitcoin, um, you know, like, for example, I, I was thinking, you know, me and Eric were at Bitcoin Miami last year. Um, and, and I think they had a lot of good talks, but I would love like next year to mm-hmm. see someone like you over there talking about, hey, here's my thoughts about Bitcoin mm-hmm. as an Ethereum person, you know, and, and you know. I think this could be yeah. amazing. I, I wish we
4: had more. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I would love to have uh, more of these chats. I mean, we didn't even get to the account versus UTXO holy war like two hours ago, <laughs> little.
1: Well, we barely said anything about proof of work versus proof of stake. So. Yeah. <laughs> if you want a holy war. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Well, on that on that point, like one thing that I wanted to ask, like I had a whole like rapid fire thing that I wanted to do, but I think I massaged most of the things that I wanted to discuss into this discussion itself. But I was just I was watching Justin Drake on Bankless, and he was um, like he feels he was he was bringing up restaking uh, in the same light as sort of a a danger as large as AI. Uh, in a sense, well, you know, uh, to the, to a blockchain system, basically, mm-hmm. and the t- you s- sort of said that your your viewpoints are uh, are in alignment with Justin Drake. So I wanted to th- hear, um, like, how scared are you of restaking and staking derivatives? And do you feel do you sleep better at night knowing that there is a proof of work system out there that doesn't have those issues? Like, it, it, has it changed your perspective mm-hmm. seeing these systems out in practice a little bit and do you think that even there's even more a reason now that we should have both these systems and that justin Drake maybe is sort of in the wrong in saying that we should exterminate proof of work as much as possible like from my point of view i think i want both around like i want both of them and i'm happy if we have one that survives so that to 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 fight against the government with if we have one that survives is what i want
4: yeah. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is that there's just so many different kinds of proof of stake, right? Like there's also this totally different school that yells at Ethereum from a different angle that says that we should have proof of stake without slashing. And like that obviously, yeah, you know, removes a thing that I consider to be one of the, one of the big advantages of proof of stake over proof of work. But at the same time, what it also does is it lets you uh, like it basically lets all Holders of uh of the of the coin stake, and you know, it b- basically, there's no need for like staked ether or whatever their equivalent is, because because just like users are able to just use their existing co- their the the existing token and participate in all of the platforms. Despite that, right? So there's uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely glad that the that like there's this whole design space and that there is um you know at least one thing in and of all of the all of the major categories right actually like I think we have like one thing in like every box right because there is Bitcoin which is doing ASIC proof of work there's etc which is still doing asic resistance proof of work there is um ethereum which is doing proof of stake with slashing then there are like the various uh Delegated proof of stake chains, then there is uh, proof of stake without slashing as being done by, I think, Algorand. So, yeah, no, I I, I mean, like, even if I disagree with those other schools, I think, uh, like, a world where where they exist in one chain is definitely, in at least one chain is definitely better than a world without.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, I don't, um, I don't, I'm not going to say my own opinion. (laughs) on proof of stake versus proof of work not now <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe next week so like here's the thing i i really think we we should we should probably wrap this up but i really think that um the this is like we we got this opportunity almost by accident i think that the the ordinals movement that uh was started by Casey Rotomore um kind of opened people's minds to the idea that actually maybe we can do a lot more with Bitcoin than we thought. And it's, it starts with, with, with ordinals and JPEGs, but I think people are like, wait, we thought we can't do NFTs on Bitcoin. So maybe there are other things we thought we cannot do and we actually can do. Maybe mm-hmm. you know those roll-ups are, are things that we, we can do now. Maybe there's, you know, there's this entire field of things that... I think the reason that we had this roadblock in Bitcoin for all those years is not technological. It's not technical, I think. Like you said, Vitalik, I think it's mostly political and cultural. And if this cultural changes, then Mm -hmm. that roadblock is removed and suddenly a lot of a lot of amazing things can happen. So we were like we're super excited about
4: this. Totally. I mean, you know, the thing the thing with the laser eyes is that the light can come in and out at 300 million meters a second. So, you know, things change (laughs) (laughs) quickly.
3: I mean the 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 happy case for me what I would like I was at the, I was at the DevCon in Bogota I think it was last year and there were just so many presentations around like account abstraction and zero knowledge proofs and like I can see a million different applications for those things if like those could also be like things that you could improve the Bitcoin system with, and it just pains me that you had this entire building, like four stories of, uh, you know, presentations in every room, one like smarter than the other, uh, and none of that like it, it basically doesn't exist in Bitcoin. So if we could uh, also make Bitcoin a place where this type of innovation has. Like some legs, some some purpose. Like there are people that are interested in it and 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 using it on Bitcoin. Like inviting some of those amazing uh, builders and thinkers into the Bitcoin ecosystem. I think I I don't I don't I don't see how that could uh, lead to a negative outcome in terms of like improving Bitcoin. I only see positives in it, Uh, and I think that the the whole modular thesis is actually a thing that allows this because you can have whatever execution environment you want. You can use Bitcoin as a data availability layer. So this whole modular Mm -hmm thesis that has grown in the ecosystem now allows for sort of cross uh, ecosystem pollination, uh, which is a thing that I, I think I'm going to spend probably the, the the next couple of years trying to fuel that fire to see more of that.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, yeah. like we, if we look at like at the, uh, just at the audience right now, this is like, if, if, if we're thinking about, you know, these conferences where you have these developers were excited to build And why don't we have that on Bitcoin? I would say like, if you look at the audience right now, there's 3000 people here who are, you know, thirsty to hear about the the ability to innovate on Bitcoin, which to me is like super exciting. And I think like, I think there is a change. Like, I think this is like, now is the time that this is changing. Like the the culture is changing. There are way more people who are open to this. People are willing to speak up and, and admit that they're open to this. So I would say like, this is, this is the time like, if people if, if there are people in the audience right now who are like developers, builders thinking about this, then like, first of all, please send a DM to me or to Eric and tell us like, A, what you want to build two, how we can help you. Three, we're, we're hiring ourselves. So like we we need as much help as we can in order to make Bitcoin this thing. Right. In order to uh, to 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 allow those new abilities to Bitcoin. And what's amazing now is I think it's finally possible. You know, like it's fine, like culturally, politically, I think the roadblock is getting removed. So that's, to me, that's super exciting. I also want to keep doing those conversations. I think this is like, it's shocking to me <laughs> that we didn't have these kind of conversations in Bitcoin before. And I think it's so obvious that we need to do more of them. So like, we, we're we going to do this every week. Uh, you know, there, we said before this one that Thursday's coming. And I have like a big surprise for everyone. Thursday is coming next week too. (laughs) There is going to be a Thursday. (laughs) And and we are going to keep like inviting like amazing guests um, to these conversations about what Bitcoin can do in order to move forward. I think this is such an important discussion to have. So if you're interested in that, at the top of the space, there's a tweet pinned right now. You can click on it and click to set a reminder for next Thursday. We're going to have another massive conversation next week. Um, I, I want to keep having those like every single week because I think there's a real opportunity now. This is the first time. I don't know, Vitalik, if you s- feel the same from where you stand, but I think mm-hmm. this is the first time in maybe five years, maybe since um, the, the kind of four cores where, where people are starting to think about, okay, let's move on. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. let's, let's see how we can move on. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Okay. Uri, uh, how about you, uh, put on the the outro song yeah. and you and me let's let's floss together one more time and actually we, we invite you also vitalik like if you want to mm-hmm. stand up in the room that you're in and do a little flossing dance with us that'd be yeah, we're
1: all going to floss right now <laughs> unfortunately you can't see it but we are <laughs> literally going to do it for the closing yeah,
4: No, yeah, well, well, i mean bitcoin and ethereum's we both love free libra open source software so uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> that that's exactly what I meant. Yes. <laughs> so so Vitalik, thank you so much for for being part of this discussion. Um, I really hope that we'll see you uh, talk about this more frequently. We would of course love to have you again. Um, and um, yeah, that's it. Thanks everyone for joining.
4: Thank you too. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. Don't forget
3: the tweet at the top for the next week. Thursday is coming, guys. All right. Odi, do the song. Put on the song. <laughs>
5: Got them acting all faithless, yo fam, what? Check these token knocks, like they probing this bear, flexing broken knives I had to lay my soul down, I'm just roasting knives And then the end a long day, 11 bowls of chronic Never known the politic, I was born to frolic It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top We like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom over empire Possible loss is all moss and I'm liking the odds Fondue in the morning, forming mycological bonds Click the cap, go the road, is highly involved Flip a coin, diary falls Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape them under the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner Stacked in non-toxic Just to get a better place Smacking on the hostage Like the shit is play for keeps Clowns, white knight, and all these Maybellies They call it implausible When model after model keeps on Ripping off the coat and going full throttle Eats tearing apart your community, All these low-hanging fruits bearing zero liquidity Gotta plan it in reach Coming standard to each I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege Commanding all the management to grab a few seats And then we'll round up the beach. And send a messenger east Y'all better sign a release When I'm bumping these beats Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets Yo, we got a few dubs We got a couple defeats And if you're coming for the king You better have some of each Motherfuckers Fuckers screaming out loud Looking for mercy Before they find themselves Working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the verbs. I'll be numbing up first Before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures Under the dirt We rape raping under the earth Say and wonder about the Worth and play. ring around the rosy while the thunder is served